finale of the month-long Spectral Spooktober Spectacular. If you're feeling grim, just remember that all good things must eventually come to a dead end. For our final tale, we take you back to 1878, to a quaint Canadian village in northwestern Nova Scotia. It was here that a young girl became a town curiosity after she became the focus of a powerful paranormal presence. The girl and her family were tortured by this particularly pernicious poltergeist, which went as far as to try and set the family home ablaze by materializing lit matches from seemingly empty air. Imagine their terror after learning to communicate with this spiteful spirit that it was not just one, but an entire host of ghosts. This case file, join the theorists for the killer conclusion to our Spooktober series with the preternatural piece of horror history known as... The Great Amherst Mystery. <laughs> The Great Amherst Mystery. I'm Braden. I'm Dan. And I'm Andrew. Woo! Woo! The boys are back in town. Um, I mean, we've always been in town. You know what? Scrap the Amherst <laughs> Mystery. DuckTales Part 2, baby. <laughs> we want to take this back to Duckburg. Life is like a hurricane, hurricane when Zell's not here. Uh, Zell's gone, as you can see, for personal reasons. Uh, for he can't be here tonight. It's for not, it's not, some, he's not got for some, us to disclose. Yeah, it's not for us to disclose. It's not for us. If you know, you know. And if you don't, so, you don't. And you don't, you don't. You should get on our Patreon because you probably know. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Anyways, uh, you know what? I've been I was th- researching this. We got to do a trigger warning for this one because there's going to be a lot of talk of cocks. In this case, file. a lot of cocks talk talk. coming. We're going to be talking cocks. Talk multiple, cocks coming. Eh? Multiple cocks. A lot of cock talk coming. It is in the form of a name, specifically <laughs> cocks. But yeah, what kind of cocks do you think we're talking about? If you're one of those people that just is just hanging around and barely listening and you just get triggered by the word cock, it's going to be thrown a lot, thrown around. Twin cocks. The cocks everywhere. The cock siblings, all sorts of, all sorts of cocks going up all over the place. Without, you know, this interesting case file, <laughs> for sure. I had never heard of it before. And a Canadian one at that, too. Yes, from Nova Scotia. Yeah, I came across this one researching, and it is definitely suitable for our spectacular finale, I think. Um, this one is a little... It's weird that this is such not as well-known as some other... Um, it is a poltergeist case. 
it, it is less well known than some other cases, but this one is definitely the one of the ones that is the, perhaps more dramatic. I it's think not the most well known Geist. Of, you know, it's not yeah. the most popular of the Geists. Is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. It, it definitely has one of the more detailed accounts, uh, given that it is a is pretty much single handedly recorded by one person, and they 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 spent time a long time with observing the events that occurred around this uh, paranormal occurrence. So this pretty much begins in 1878 in a cozy, so well-kept rec- cottage. So, so recent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally recent. <laughs> in, a, in a small, what was then a small, uh, quaint Victorian village. And this is perhaps, um, some people will point to this, people who are in the know, as probably Canada's most famous poltergeist, even though nobody really knows about it. Yeah. <laughs> so it involves and revolves around a 14-year-old girl named Esther Cox. <laughs> there it is. So it is. <laughs> who at the time uh, lived with her eldest sister, Olive. Um, Olive's hardworking husband, Daniel. Uh, uh, That's not Popeye? No. Oh, <laughs> Papa wasn't wasn't there yet. Uh, He's married to olive oil, <laughs> isn't he? Um, Daniel owned the college that they lived in, and there was quite quite a bit more. There's a number of people in this house who were actually all witnesses to the activities uh, that occurred within the next few months. So you had uh, Dan's uh, Olive and Dan's two young boys, Willie and George, uh, both five and one respectively, and then you had Dan's brother John. And then you had Esther and Olive's brother, William. uh, And then the Cox siblings, 22-year-old sister, Jane. So now this all begins in late late summer. uh, So September 4th, 1878. Esther and Jane uh, traditionally had uh, shared a bed and a bedroom. And when they were settling down for the night, Jane felt something that she felt was a, could have been a mouse, crawling around inside the mattress. Mm. Now, I am not... God, I would have hated living I, in the 1800s. Yeah, I'm not oh familiar with a mouse crawling around in my mattress. I don't know what that feels like. I assume it's pretty gross. Like, <laughs> man, oh, fucking 1870s. Come on. Uh, but you have a, a... So they thought something was crawling around in their mattress. So Esther jumps out of bed, uh, screaming as you would. Um exclaiming that there is a mouse or something uh, in the under the bedclothes, under the sheets and the uh, that lay over the mattress. Or like under the sheets, like not yeah. in the bed, but under the sheets. Yeah. Oh, that's so, fucking awful. Um, yeah. yeah. Ah. <laughs> so J- Jane was more, probably one of the more, the more practical of the sisters. So Jane was kind of like, you know, it's, it's no big deal. Like, it's, <laughs> hold it's, on, it's, hold on. So, <laughs> Bed clothes means bed sheets. Yeah, and this and this uh, that sense, makes that makes the next poltergeist situation <laughs> talk about way less exciting. <laughs> I totally have a way different. Oh, that fucking blows. I, oh, to be fair, I was also confused. I was very confused. Yeah, it, it does it does throw you for a loop at first. Yeah, when you're reading about this account, the bed clothes. Um, Bed clothes, come flying off. bed clothes are like sheets, like your your fitted. What would now probably be like your fitted sheet, like the sheets that you put on top of that, your comforter. So literally, like your bed's bed clothes. clothes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Not not your PJs. Not the clothes you wear to bed. No. Yeah. You thought you thought we had some lazy laundry folders here who just left. Just, they're just like, oh fuck it, I'll put it away tomorrow. 
I'm not hanging it. Just stack it on the bed. So now uh, this later in the evening, later that night, um, they heard a rustling, you know, following this, this, uh, this encounter with a mouse or something inside their mattress. And they ended up like getting both getting up out of bed and kind of, uh, narrowing down their search for the sound. They were trying to locate the, the source of the sound. And what they decided it was coming from this cardboard box, um, uh, that was filled with just pieces of patchwork. So stuff that probably they had, but you know, patches, stuff for patches and loose fabric and things like this that they kept underneath the bed. So they dragged this box out into the middle of the room, uh, thinking that they would, you know, catch the mouse or at least like, you know, get it out of their room or whatever. But to Did they their, think the, the, uh, was the mouse, they thought the mouse was perhaps in the box. Right. Okay. Because they heard they heard this something rustling around, and they it was it didn't sound like it was in the mattress. It sounded like it was inside this box that was on the ground or near the bed. And What's so they in the took box? This, <laughs> What's in the box? And nobody really knew until they pulled it out. And when they put it out in the middle of the floor, this box that they reported was that it leapt up, like suddenly leapt up off the floor under its own power, and just popped up into the ground like a like a foot off the ground and then landed on its side and then it dumped out all its contents and then there was just all there was is just the fabric that was inside there no mouse no nothing this thing just hop pop, fucking shot straight in the air i was gonna say that must have freaked the shit out of the mouse <laughs> so there was nothing underneath the bed sheets it was just this box moving around under the bed well, they heard the sound was coming from the box, this rustling sound or whatever. They were okay. figuring out like something that they they figured was supposed to be the mouse. So this box, they said, was it, 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 some sound was emanating from it, like something was rustling around inside of the box. And so when they took it out, you know, thinking that it was going to be there, and it just like trouble popomatic, like like popped up off the yeah. floor. That's your, and that's your first mistake. You just that's where you you pull it out from under the bed, and then you go straight up to the window and just discus that shit right out the window. Not worth it. Don't take a chance. Don't open it up. Yeah, see a ghost. We're not getting, <laughs> we're not getting paranormally activated tonight. Bye, box. So, uh, you know, uh, understandably perturbed by this box leaping up off the floor under, you know, nobody, nobody there, no gust of wind, no nothing pushing that thing off the ground. The lady screamed uh, for Daniel, uh, the older, you know, the elder, uh, to come into the for them to help them or something like they didn't know what to do. So they screamed out for, for Daniel to come in. So Daniel came in and, and looked at this thing, but they couldn't find this mouse. And he, you know, pretty much kind of wrote it off to as a nightmare or, you know, hysterical ravings. Like you both yeah. had a nightmare. He's like and you and your weak women, are <laughs> woman hearts. <laughs> so it was 1870s. So that could have been an appropriate response. And, um, you know, pretty much just said, you know, you're both you're both just freaking out she had a nightmare you you're just feeding into it and told them you know go back to bed and whatever and it, it's not like they're like little kids here either like they're older no they're teenagers so yeah jane is 22 and right? like, uh and esther yeah. is 14 yeah that's fucking midlife crisis era and, in those and, yeah in those days like those they days. only had what maybe 12 more years to live in the <laughs> yeah. 1800s right they were like <laughs> let's be honest Right, I mean, twenty two, yeah, unwed yeah. with no kids. What's her problem, Ooh, right? That's true. Eighteen hundred, like goddamn. I mean, some of the neighbors had already had six, seven kids, right? Uh, yeah. Already lost a well, husband to the old? sea. 
How old's Olive? Olive's much um, older than Olive Jane. was. I don't have her age right in front of me. But yeah, I don't think she's much older. So now they, they both went to bed. Uh, the rest of the night kind of passed without without any event, any trouble. And then the next night at about half past eight, uh, Esther began complaining about feeling feverish, feeling hot. And then so um, Mrs. Teed, uh, Olive, uh, told told her and, um, and Jenny, or no, actually Jenny and Mrs. Teed told Esther to go to bed. They're like, you, you okay? You're, you know, maybe you're feeling sick. Um, maybe you've caught cold or something. Go ahead and, you know, go to bed. So she takes the advice, heads up to bed. So around 10 o'clock, Jenny also retired. So, you know, again, they, <laughs> they both share a room. So Jenny goes back, yeah. you know, goes to the bed. And I like your use of the term retired because you're like, well, this is, this is the term that was 18, used. It's 1800. This, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised like somebody, you know, this, this lady, she tells you she's not feeling well and she's like, hey, you should probably go to bed. Like, I'm surprised it's more, not more of a to-do, like, like given the fucking emotional gathered the family around, like she's not feeling well, she's going to bed. She's got a 50, 50% chance of not making it through the night. She might have a cold. She might have TB. We don't she know. She might have diphtheria. Who knows? Yeah, like, she might knows. be fucking dying <laughs> could here. could have been a whole bunch of things. We don't know. So um, so Jenny goes to bed, accompanied um, you know, with, with Esther. And they had probably been in bed for about 15 minutes when Esther jumps out of bed into the center of the room and... And starts just pretty much like freaking out, like like screaming. And then uh, Jenny gets out of bed as well, thinking something's wrong with Esther. Something's something's happened to her. And um, when she she finally manages to get the lamp lit, uh, she can see Esther's appearance is something that she's never really seen before. So she, she looks like, like that Esther. chick out of Willy Wonka and the Charlie. Oh my che- God. You son of a bitch. Yeah. Violet Beauregard. Yeah. My fucking stole my joke. You son of a bitch. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> so what, I, that's what I thought. She was giving me some real Violet oh, Beauregard vibes. Hey, too slow. Too I was going to say funny. fucking Veruca Salt. And I was like, Hey, you know what? I better look that up. So I don't fuck it up. So Dan doesn't embarrass me on this fucking case file. So I Googled it. Yeah, that's why I know it's Violet Beauregard. Because, yeah. So Esther was described as like standing there with her, uh, you know, at the time, short hair, pretty much just standing on end. And like her face is just completely blood red crimson and her eyes looking like they're just about to like bug out of her sockets. And so she had managed to get her hands uh, on the on the back of a chair to kind of, it seemed to almost help her stand. And she had it held so tightly that her fingernails were sinking into the wood. And if you want an accurate like picture in your head, think of Violet Beauregard in total recall and her, she, she, her trip to Mars has gone terribly wrong and she's cracked her mask. That's what I, that's what I pictured. I think that'd be an Um, accurate description. And, and Esther is aware of this going on and Esther is just like, she is, you know, she's quoted as saying, I am swelling up and I shall surely burst. I know I shall. Right, yeah. those, those are her she, words. she may have said that or she just may have been like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, again, so Daniel is summoned into the room and, and, you know, by, by the screams and the, the alarm, yeah. the screams of alarm from the two women. Is he telling he me to go back to room. bed? <laughs> 
and he he looks at her and he he can see Shut visibly the fuck up. these things. <laughs> Daniel's gonna have to shake a bitch. All right. Uh, Daniel can plainly see that she is swelling up, and so you know, I mean, he points it out to Olive as well. Says, "Just look at her. Even her hands are swollen. Lay your hand on her. She's as hot as fire." So she has this extreme fever going on, where she's also this is also he pronounced, pronounced her dead. <laughs> She's dead. So you have this, you have this young lady. Uh, her entire body is now swollen. Uh, she's screaming in pain and grinding her teeth as epileptic is a description. Like she's had, it seems like she's having an epileptic fit, which is known around those times. And um, then you get this loud bang, like one peal of thunder, like a, a crack of thunder is what they described it as. And it is something like, that shakes the entire house. Yeah, like startles everyone to a standstill. Like everyone stops, takes notice. Like it it sounds like it hit the house. And everyone kind of, yeah, everyone kind of stopped. And so it, it was so, it was so disturbing and so loud that um, Olive actually thought something like a, a a bolt of lightning had struck the house. And so she was extremely concerned for her children, like the, the two younger, the two young boys. So she ran to their room to actually go check on them. That's how she, that's how loud this thing was and how it shook the house and how made her concerned enough to go check on these kids. And then, you know, knowing that there is, she goes and checks on them. Those are okay. But even after that, they heard three more of these house shaking bangs uh, and what, then what like what I'd seen it described as red is like a someone sitting on your roof who wants to get through your roof, who's just smashing your shingles with a sledgehammer. Jesus. Like that was the the impact to them inside. Like it, it, it felt like a force was trying to break in through the roof. So after you hear after they hear these three more huge you know, explosions in the house, these huge thunderous, (laughs) thunderous booms. Um, Esther seemed to just uh, revert back to her normal appearance and then seemed to just fall back asleep. Like just pass out. Now before, like before we move on, like, is there, do we, is there anything that we know of that can cause that kind of like some weird epileptic fit? Well, like flash fever and swelling other than eating the forbidden, like not listening to Willy Wonka. Oompa, doompa. Well, we didn't, they didn't, Oompa Loompas didn't come in and start singing, so we can rule that out. Yeah. There was no warning song. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's, it's funny that you mentioned that because I looked into it. No, you would. Because I was very curious. Hey, the next time I steal your joke, can you just, and you have it written down, can you just rip your paper and not even say anything? That way I know. <laughs> it gets just get upset. That'd be funny. Yeah. yeah. That was pretty close. But it, then the rest of my shit. Would, yeah. Then I wouldn't be yeah. able to drop this factoid on your bitch ass. Yeah. So there's a little something that we like to call bull neck, which is a symptom <laughs> of diphtheria. Wait, that's that's what I have when I shave. Well, that's just what you have permanently. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so a lot of times with people have diphtheria, their lymph nodes can get super swollen, which presents what we call as bull neck, almost kind of looks like a, uh, what do you call those frogs that fill up their neck? Bullfrog? Bullfrog. 
bullfrog. Exactly. There you go. Most frogs kind of do it. (laughs) I thought there were certain frogs that do it, but or all frogs. Either way, so it usually focuses like you usually get. It's usually a symptom of um, laryngeal diphtheria, but it can happen in other types of diphtheria as well. Um, And then you also like with diphtheria, you get raging fevers. Um, usually a slow onset, but they, when they spike, they can be really bad, hot to the touch. As far as these, like when you, when you say the epileptic fit, so we're going to go ahead and assume you're talking about some type of like, most likely a, a grand mal seizure or with some trismus. Cause you were talking about like tightening of the jaw, but she's still um, talking though. That anybody, was what struck me as weird. I'm like, she's well, still- depending on how long the fit was for when you come out of it, she could have been postictal, which would kind of account for like bizarre, bizarre behavior following, but like anybody, if you're, you know, like it's usually only common in children to have a febrile seizure, right? She's 14, but she's still, you can still have with a bad enough fever, you can still have a seizure. So, but it sounds, that sounds a lot to me like diphtheria. And does so, diphtheria uh, <laughs> cause crashing on your roof? <laughs> yeah. No. That's, what time of year is this? Uh, just the end of summer. So it's not Santa Claus is what you're saying. No, uh, it's way too early. Um, it's too early for Santa. Does it cause boxes? Maybe it was the Belschnickel. To jump. Maybe it was the Grossman. The, oh, don't talk about that guy. So after this episode, uh, things kind of return to normal for the next four nights. So you have Esther going around her normally house duty. She usually helps Olive with the housework. That's her normal kind of routine. Um, uh, and just you know, going around town doing her usual routine. Now, four nights later, Esther has a similar attack. She has almost the same thing, but this time you have the bedclothes, the sheets, and the you know the blanket and everything that are on the bed. These just fly from the bed. See, this is what I'm talking about. I thought these people just. I thought both these chicks just instantly clothes flew off their bodies. <laughs> no, I was like, oh, this is good. And, and listen, you got you got to remember to. You know, I don't want to put. I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'm not. <laughs> In the remake of this story, the great, uh, the great Bonehurst fucking mystery. Yeah, the Pinot version. That's what happens. The clothes yeah, come yeah, flying that off. Makes sense. And then yeah, they, yeah. They're it's clothes. actually her stepsister, <laughs> not her real sister yeah. too. And, it's just, and she know. was stuck under the bed trying to get that <laughs> box. <laughs> Is that a mouse in the bed? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, what I was going to say is that you know. I, I'm not a I'm not a big uh, I don't know you know you might think that I'm an expert on sheets and bedclothes I'm not but uh, I don't think is, that, you're talking to a guy here that hasn't changed his bed sheets in fucking six years yeah uh, I don't think they had fitted sheets in 1800 I'm gonna go ahead and say that I'm gonna go out on a limb right <laughs> they were all loose sheets so for me I'm like okay well then this listen I'm still impressed that a poltergeist is throwing bed sheets off but if those suckers aren't fitted i guarantee you that's why we don't see as much poltergeist activity nowadays with your bed clothes why don't you think why do you think it was fitted sheets back then they got fucking elastic fucking there's no way there's no way there's no way oh i like you're telling we like they they're able to fucking tailor clothes no problem you don't think they're able to fucking taper the sheets down no and have a stretchy material no no i don't think they did I call no. That's hold on, okay. hold on, hold hey, on. Hey, look it up, dickhead. You showed us your yeah. fucking search. Right, bar. Hold on, hold on, hold, hold on, up, hold on. But when was the fitted sheet invented? Ready, ready for this? Yeah, let's go. When was the fitted <sighs> sheet 
Boom! No, I call bullshit on that. That's dumb. That doesn't make sense. You asked there's me no to way, look it up. There's no way. There's no way. One day, some guy in 1959 was like, "Eureka! Are you sick of fucking poltergeists blowing your sheets off? Yeah. I know how to fix it. Hey, like, there's no fucking way, my friend. The no. proof is in the pudding. No, I I don't believe it. Right? I want fact check. Fake news. <laughs> Where's the source? I don't, I don't think they had like well back then you just had regular sheets. Like I don't I don't even think they do it back then. How would you even fold a fitted sheet? Like how would you how do you fold a fitted that. sheet now, Dan? You don't. Right. You bunch it up Honestly, in a ball they wouldn't and throw like, it in the closet. Back then, we don't even know how to fold one now. And so how would they know to fold one back then? Um I I don't think they did. Anyways, um, this fucking poltergeist was short sheeting this bed like hardcore, like whipping these things off, you know, uh into the corner of the room. And so at this point, Daniel's like, fuck, like shit's getting real. We need to get somebody in here to look at fucking Esther because Esther's also, you know, she's back to, you know, having a fever, having a fit, whatever's happening to her. We need to get a doctor. So this is when they bring in Dr. Carrot. <laughs> or Kermit. Doesn't sound like a real doctor to me. <laughs> he is a, he is a, he was a real doctor and he was well respected in the community uh yeah. he was known as a very you know very um honest man very jovial man yeah. and he's very well known around town and everybody kind of respected him and took his word on most things so he was known as being a very i mean he's a doctor so he's a man of science yeah so they bring him in he does his doctor thing he checks her pulse looks at her tongue um and he told the family that she just seemed to She's be gotta be leached we got a leecher. It's the only way to fix this. I mean, we're, lobotomy. We're, we're late 1800s. I don't know. Like leeches is not probably the leecher. Let's bleed her a bit. Uh, we'll burn her. Yeah. And if all else fails, we'll hang her. She's a witch. I got to fix this. Uh, he came to the conclusion, you know, after doing his short physical that she was suffering from some type of nervous excitement and perhaps had received some tremendous shock and was just like, it, it was just taking a toll on her. Um, you know, mentally. Now, as soon as he pretty much says this, the pillow that is underneath Esther's head, he's sitting beside the bed at this point with the rest of the family in the room. The pillow that's underneath her bed comes out from under her, comes out from under her head. And then except for one corner, pretty much. And it, everybody's watching this bed as if, as if it's being pulled by some type of invisible power. And then it is, Filled seems to fill itself with air, like something's just fluffing it, and then goes right back under her head. He and the best part about this is this is this part of the story is actually logged because the doctor signed after David's, where he. Affidavits. Sorry, what was that? If it's not Affidavit. on an after David, it didn't after, happen. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. If he he signed, he was like, "Yeah, I saw a move," and he just seemed like not like. He didn't seem that shook by it. He was just like, yeah, it's not move. I don't know what to say. Like he, which is surprising because everyone else's accounts are like, this is crazy. We're all there. And this thing's yeah, fucking think moving. Of what, think about what this guy has been subjected to in this career in the 1800s being a doctor. Yeah. He's like, I've seen it like all. This, <laughs> dude, it's, I couldn't imagine hacking off limbs and shit on a regular base. Like just no, thank you. <laughs> so, um, with the fucking like, look at the school in this guy's got too. Daniel, this guy's probably read two books. He's a, he's a hey, he's a barber. He's a doctor. Same shit. Come on, call him. <laughs> uh, so Daniel's brother John is also present at the bedside at that at that moment, and 
he pretty much uh, puts forth the resolution. He becomes resolute and he says, if that thing, if that pillow comes out a second time, I'm going to grab it. Like he makes it, he makes that vocal that he's going to grab this thing. So it does is not no sooner than he says that uh, if it comes out, I will grab it. It seems to come out again, doing the almost exact same, uh, same motion that it did before. And so John, uh, John worked as a, um, as a farmhand, like a seasonal farmhand. So the guy is pretty like, he's, he's not a weak dude. Like this is, he's, ex- he's described as being, you know, fairly fit and having that farm strength, that farm boy strength. And so when that pillow comes out, he grabs it with both hands and tries to hold it out from under, has hold it out to prevent it from going back under Esther's head. And he can't hold it. It is pulling so hard that he has to struggle to hold the pillow. And eventually it just, it like comes out of his grasp. He can't hold it anymore and just goes right back underneath Esther's head. That's uh, like, I just pictured him like, you know, getting two feet up on the edge of the bed, like heaving this thing and just like nothing. And and, and it's just not moving. Why didn't anyone help him? This room full of people. Like, come on. Yeah, I it's, a a fucking, it's a paranormally activated pillow. pillow. I, I'm not going to touch it. What I, imagine, <laughs> what I imagine there is they're watching John struggle and the doctor, Dr. Karras, just looking at him and he's like, come on. It, come on. It's it, just grab, <laughs> grab the, it's a pillow. Grab the pillow. Man up, John. Come Man, on. John, it, come John, on. it's a pillow. Grab the pillow. John, pull the pillow. John, pull it. And he's just struggling the whole time. Can't get it. It's terrifying though. Like I, if you were in this room, <laughs> this is, I, I would be frozen. I wouldn't even be going after the pillow. I'd just be So if shock. you think that's terrifying, this is where shit really gets real. And that so but real as soon at the as most the, from you, Dan. Uh, this gets more it gets more it gets realer than real because at this point, again, the bedclothes fly off the bed. And before they're even like people in the room are able to retrieve the bedclothes and you know kind of put them back on the bed over Esther, they hear the sound of what seems to be some type of metallic instrument. And it sounds like it's scratching something on the walls. And when they look to one of the walls. In the room, the far wall in the room, they just see written in this it, like uneven, scratchy handwriting, but, you know, fairly legible. Esther Cox, you are mine to kill. Oh, give me shivers. <sighs> oh. <laughs> um, and this is this is something that every single person in that room attests to. And that's why there's such good documentation because even the doctor's like, I don't know what to say. That's what it said. So it's terrifying. Yeah, this is the beginning of some, and this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning of the whole entire thing. Um, but we might want to take a break before we get even deeper into the darkness for this uh, paranormal poltergeist uh, phenomenon. Yeah. We're going to take a quick beer break. We'll be right back. We're back, baby. We're back. And now back to the great Bonehurst mystery. Yeah. <laughs> I had that really... written down. You must you stole that from me. Yeah, bullshit. <laughs> You're not even capable of that. <laughs> You're not fat enough yet, pal. So you have everybody legitimately pretty much terrified at this point that there is some type of dark force which is seems to have the intention of killing esther cox after carving physically carving 
its intention into the wood. Yeah, I don't know so how now, they piece that together. <laughs> that made thing. its intentions clear at this point. It wasn't just like, I'm here to short shoot your bed. I'm here to fucking murder you. Yeah. Apparently. And yeah, but so, it's worse than that. It's not like I'm gonna kill you. It's you were mine to kill. Like it's like he right he now. owns her. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's it's bizarre. Yeah, man. it's, it's some stalker it's a, weirdo. It's weird shit. possessive shit for sure. Scary man. Um. So the knockings that we we talked about before, the knockings and the poundings on the walls and throughout the house, like those actually continued not like throughout the night and then throughout the day, and then um. You know, later that evening, like after the that that night where they saw the writing on the wall, literally, um, <laughs> Doctor Carrot came back the next evening, and he uh, he came back with some sedatives, essentially, <laughs> and so um, he he gave the sedatives to Esther, administered these sedatives. Um, you know, one of them pretty much being morphine, and like knocked her the fuck out. And oh, bro, this is eighteen hundred, so you're getting the good shit. Yeah. It's pure. <laughs> yeah, we'll knock her down with some, some morphine, and then when we've got to wake her up, we'll just give her some cocaine. Yeah. You know, a little THC. Yeah. Like, it's fine. And he's like, throw it there on her teeth. Like, it should, mm. it we're good. pretty it'll, it'll sure it's a demon. And Esther, we want you to fight it in the dream realm. So go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way to face a fear. Uh, so is while they're doing this, like bef before they're doing that, apparently the knockings... Uh, seem to grow in volume, seem to increase in volume and become more rapid and frequent than they had the previous night. And then this is where you got the comparison that um, Braden mentioned earlier, and this was attested to by Dr. Carrot, where you had, he compared the sound to somebody slamming on the roof with a sledgehammer, like trying to break through the shingles. Dun, like that's dun, what it sounded like. Done, 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 Like fast repetition. <laughs> So with his previous, you know, with all the happenings going on, Dr. Carrot has to reevaluate his theory. And so his next theory about what has happened is he puts forth the idea that perhaps Esther has received some type of shock to her nerves, which has essentially made her a an electric battery is what he kind of compares her to. And that the the these knocks and these you know electricity back then was like magic you know it's, it's still kind of like what does he think it's some, this some sort of powder shit going on here <laughs> well i mean i mean electricity was the big thing back then now and so uh, you know i think people were kind of being like you you kind of bring all that stuff into medicine into science so electricity is like well electricity is everywhere apparently according to some people so they're just kind of like well perhaps now we're learning more about what electricity can do and our bodies produce it. So it affects our bodies in such a way. So Dr. Carrot applies that and says that these, he, he kind of reasons out that perhaps that since Esther is producing this electrical field of some type, that perhaps the sounds that they're hearing, these bangs are just minute peals of thunder. <laughs> Oh, it's great. Like she's, she's the lightning. I mean, we didn't, they didn't completely understand like how electricity worked and how all yeah. of that stuff kind of interacted. No, no, so, I, I, I mean, that was his I, best, I, that was his best idea. Still, you know? Dan, I don't <laughs> understand. I don't know a lot of things, but I understand that they did not understand electricity. I got that from this, this little exchange with Dr. Carrots. <laughs> uh, 
So between this time and December, um, pretty much so from September to December, within a few months, like the, the house essentially becomes famous. Like the, the household becomes Oof. famous. You have you have Ooh. visitors coming in and, and to hear these sounds. We can't pass up on on fucking Dr. Carrot's follow up visit the next day. Oh, which that one? might that might be the most Canadian of all poltergeists on the planet. <laughs> when he shows up, he he swears after he sedates her, he's like, I'll be back tomorrow to check on her. He shows up in the morning and then he gets he shows up and he sees Esther's back to normal, everything's good, nothing bizarre happening, and he's shocked. And then Esther goes down into the cellar to go whatever, get some shit for breakfast. And then she comes running up and she's like, there's something down there. It threw a wooden board at me. Like, it's not safe. Whatever's in this house is down there right now. <laughs> and, and so Dr. Carrots is like, you're fucking crazy. It's, you know, it's electricity. I'm going to go down there and sort this shit out. Goes down in the cellar. There's nothing there. So he comes back up and says, yeah, you're fucking crazy. So then Esther's like, well, I want to come down there with you. So they go down there together. And then they start getting ambushed by fucking rogue potatoes that come flying over their shoulders. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I just picture just, just like, that's like, you think about spooky hauntings, every, yeah. you know, that's gotta be the least, that's gotta be the most polite poltergeist ever yeah. been like, Hey, hosers, get out of here. Yeah. Have a fucking potato. How you like those hot potatoes, pal? Why don't you kick that's rocks? That's pretty serious, man. This thing's put a dent in your skull. Hey, you and now everyone knows why Zell's not on the podcast today. Because all the potato talk. Yeah. <laughs> he took one look at the notes and he's like, I can't, I can't come on for this. <laughs> so now in December, Esther ends up actually falling ill with diphtheria. <laughs> there's, so, there's nothing to be afraid of, Esther. It, it's got to be the magnetism attracting the potatoes. <laughs> no, he shit his pants. He was out of there, man. Yeah. They but how do you go? There. How do you go from being like your mind to kill and then just like start hucking some potatoes? Hucking potatoes. I mean, that wasn't the only thing. There were other there were other occurrences like throughout the um, for the, the next couple months. So you had enough to like being to actually intrigue enough people to come into it. It became kind of a, a tourist attraction. People coming in to visit the household and and witness the sounds and the the events that were surrounding Esther that seemed to. Uh, revolve around or this power which they pretty much started referring to it as the power um she's got the power these things that are happening so in december of 1878 esther uh, uh falls ill with diphtheria and the sounds seem to stop after she recovers from this illness she ended up going to sackville new brunswick to visit um her other married sister uh mrs john snowden and stayed at her house for about two weeks. And the power didn't seem to follow her at this point. Didn't seem to didn't seem to come with her. There's no potatoes seems, flying at the snow. No house. potatoes flying. None of that no stuff. Scary fucking shit written in the walls. Yeah. Now the thing is, so this is strange. You would you would expect something like a power. I mean, if we when we talk about these things like a, a haunting or a poltergeist, you know, they seem to be of course, something that is written on the wall already to become attached to Esther um, and go with her, perhaps. Or maybe now it's attached to the house. So you don't really know what's going on. Is it attached to Esther? Is it attached to the house? What's going on? Now, when Esther ends up returning to Daniel's cottage, Esther said something strange to Jenny, where she's, she's Jenny reported that Esther seemed to believe that she could hear a voice 
informing her that the house would be burnt down by a ghost. And immediately following this, and then within the next couple days or so, lighted matches seem to start falling out of the air. Like at like such frequency air, that like- at one point, just just out of thin air, like you'd have a lit match and then it would and then it would fall from the ceiling somewhere. They couldn't identify exactly where, but they would have these things. And it's at one instance, you had eight or ten falling within the same amount of minutes. So you had like one falling every minute. And after this started happening and this and sorry, Dan, to interrupt. This isn't like Esther being like, I saw all these matches. This is like everyone there being like, we had to put out these matches that were falling and potentially going to burn our house. They were, they were just falling from everywhere. We have no idea why or for what reason this isn't yeah, just, they one had to prevent saying, a number of times. I mean, back then fucking your house is a goddamn death trap. Like yeah, it's oh going to yeah. fucking, everything's a fire hazard. Zero, Every house is a fucking fire hazard. Like, zero fire <laughs> suppression. Techniques um, whatsoever. So, There's nothing built into those places. Everything's fucking. <laughs> Every time a uh, you know a match would fall, somebody had to go find it and then figure out that their biggest concern actually was that they would find like one of these matches that this would materialize uh, as they had been somewhere that they couldn't get to it in time, like you know inside a wall or somewhere in the attic or somewhere that they didn't see it until it was too late because they had up until then they had been fighting these fires and just like putting them out as they popped up and uh, you know. Fortunately, that none of them have been serious enough to actually burn the house down, but enough of them have been worrisome enough to be like, if one of these matches like got somewhere in the house that we couldn't get to it, it will burn this house down. Yeah. Why? Well, I'd be concerned going to bed. You're like, what if these start falling while we're all asleep? Now, the the family begins to kind of, you know, for lack of a better way, they start to understand this ghost. They start to understand the spirit or the phenomenon that's going around, um, falling around Esther. And the, the family actually discovers that they are able to converse with the spirit at some point. Like they can actually, like they, they're all sitting around a table at one point and they kind of ask the ghost, like, you know, they, they, they ask them a question and then they realize that these spirits seem to be answering with knocks. So they they figured out a, a way of communication with these spirits and they've they figured out that it would knock once for a negative answer for no and then it would knock three times that the answer was the affirmative a yes and then it would give two knocks if it was in doubt about a reply. Yeah. I old knock knock or maybe <laughs> yeah interrogative knock like knock the question mark on that knock yeah and so it up until this point esther has not seen this ghost nobody has seen these ghosts they've only heard the sounds and they've seen the manifestations of the power through kind of the physical um occurrences of you know hucking potatoes you know kinetic examples of the ghost like they've only seen these these things but one night esther and the entire family were sitting together in the parlor. The ghost became visible to Esther. And this is the first time that she saw uh, what this ghost looked like. And 
at this point, like she just pretty much was just locked up in fear, like from her head to her toes, completely frozen with fear and just like taking over her entire body in such a way it affected her in such a way that Daniel was at this point. I mean, for the next, it's been two months that she's been having to deal with this. And honestly, and, you, you know, can't, the next couple of weeks just seems to be getting worse. You can't blame her in this situation too. Like she's had all this shit happen. She's been swelling up like a, you know, look regard. Yeah. Looking like she's about to explode. There's shit's been carving on the wall that you're mine to kill. You know, we're tossing potatoes, tossing taters at her. And now she's now she sees like the a physical representation of this ghost. I could only imagine that like this is like you're like this thing is going to this is the thing that's going to kill me. Like you just be I, I totally understand that she would be frozen in fear and just like absolutely rattled after everything she's been through for the last couple months. Like all of a sudden now you're seeing this ghost in my head, in my mind. If this was me, I'd be like, oh, great. This thing's now getting enough power that it can manifest itself. Well, I'm dead. Like, this is never going to stop that. I'd be like, this is only getting worse at this point. Like I, I totally understood that she was rattled. And yeah. And that might've been what Daniel was thinking when he told her, uh, at this point, he's like, we need to put you somewhere else. We're not, you know, he, he looked her dead in the eye, uh, you know, as is reported that he kind of, he told her like, we're not turning you away. We're not turning you out. Like we, but we need to put you somewhere else. Um, you know, and I don't want my house to get burnt down. So you got to (laughs) go. Also that we're running out of potatoes. That might've been, that might've been running through his head as well. So, uh, the family ended up getting in contact with, uh, a man named John White, a local man, uh, who had always kind of taken a deep interest in the power that Esther seemed to be uh, displaying. And so after discussing, you know, after getting contact with him and talking to him, um, uh, he discussed it with his wife and, you know, uh, they took pity on Esther and took her in for the time. So they said that we will, t- well, yeah, we'll take her and we'll take her in and um, we'll take care of her. And and by all accounts, um, the whites were extremely gracious hosts. They took her in and treated her like just like one of the family. Uh, she, she pretty much lived the very they didn't treat her special or anything that she helped, um, you know, John White's wife, Mrs. White around the house and stuff like this. But and it's a pretty like it's a pretty close knit village Amherst. Like there's there's or is she in New Brunswick now at this point. No, she's back in Amherst. So this is like, this is a pretty close knit village. Like there's not a lot of people there. uh, So it's, you know, it's, it's tight knit. So this isn't surprising when I first read it and I was like, oh, just someone else would just take it. It's like, it's a small community. Like everyone would know each other. And they had taken some interest in it and they'd been like, you know, feeling bad for her. And and so they felt like maybe just trying to help out or something like that. And they did. So. Um, she went to go stay with them. And then, so we're approaching January of 1879. So the next year, um, and Esther had been at the white's residence for two weeks and there hadn't been anything. There hadn't been any signs of the poltergeist, uh, tormentor that had been harassing her or any of the occurrences that anything that had happened back at the, uh, at the teed residence. But at the end of the fourth week, um, these events seem to return. And the very first thing seems, it, when, when you think about it, like 
the first occurrence seems very innocuous. It's just like, it's very, it's almost like impish where she said that, um, she was scrubbing, she was helping scrub the floors or some of the surfaces at the, at the white house, at the white's house. And her scrub brush disappeared. Convenient. Just, I don't want to do the dishes. I know I can't do the dishes. But she couldn't find the scrub brush. And then, but apparently, you know, a short time later, after she had searched everywhere looking for it, it just materialized out of thin air somewhere above her head and almost conked her on the head, is what is reported happening. It just fell out of air. Like like from, from the, like, you know, from the area of the ceiling. Like, it's not like it was just like somebody threw it at her. It's like it fell straight down. And I imagine these are like pretty heavy duty <laughs> compared to like our little plastic ones we have now. I bet they're like a nice yeah. wooden handle on them. Oh, yeah. Like, I bet they got some girth to them. Built to yeah, last. solid. Yeah. Some weight to it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So by the end of the sixth week, they're back to full blown pyromaniac ghost. Like the ghost starts. Geisty. The ghost starts starting fires. Again, apparently around the white homestead. And then <laughs> this is probably the most violent display of the ghost. Now, we're not like Andrew said, perhaps, you know, when it wrote, you know, carved into the wood, you are mine to kill. It doesn't necessarily express uh, a murderous intent, like 100 percent. I'm going to kill you. Okay, maybe it expresses some type of ownership. But when she is at the whites residence uh a very serious event happened so um frederick white the son of uh mr white uh had a was outside with like a clasp knife like a little sorry like a little carving knife of some type and then he was whittling something and then while he's doing this esther comes out and they said that the knife flew from his hand into Esther's back, like sunk, stabbing her with it, sunk in there. And while, you know, after it goes, you know, in, in total surprise, you know, Frederick is still thinking about, okay, whatever, but they, you know, like I, he, he, he comes waddling over. Sorry about that. Yeah. Pulls um, the knife. Shouldn't have had up all that popcorn. Yeah. Pulls the knife out of her back. Cleans it. Ah, right. It's like one of those. Sorry it's it's a small class knife. So you're thinking like a little pocket, like a little like, you know, single flip out knife. Yeah. Like one of those. And um, he they say that he pulled the knife out, uh, wiped it off, closed it, put it back in his pocket. And then it immediately flew from his pocket back into the same wound. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> in Esther's back. Where do we know where the wound was on her back? Uh, they weren't, they weren't specific about where it got, like probably somewhere around her shoulders or something. Probably I would think we, but. we actually have like no idea. There's nothing. It just says her back, but on all accounts, when I first read this and it was like, and then he pulled it out and went right back in. I was like, are we sure this kid didn't stab her? <laughs> but then when it, when all accounts are that this blade flew into the exact same stab hole a second time, I'm like, yeah. All right, that's fucking weird. I mean, that's probably the best case scenario, though. Yeah, yeah. When Frederick He's pulled it out the whole, second like, time, he, he, you know, he thought, you know, he was pretty forward thinking, but he took the he took the knife and he locked. He had to lock it into 
like a cash cabinet. Like he locked it in there, pulled the key out, and then was like, it just left it in there after that, reportedly. The poor Esther <laughs> shanked. <laughs> she's hard at this time. She's yeah. probably just like, yeah, it is what it is. She is a hard woman. Yeah, right. So now you make it to January, you get into spring of 1879. And Esther is kind of. Uh, the strange thing is, is that probably perhaps due to some of, uh, you know, somewhat due to her experiences and this display of power that's happening, Esther has become quite in demand, it looks like, or it seems like. Her social life has kind of taken off. So Booming. she gets invited to a lot of places. Um, so Esther ends up. <laughs> Show us your stab wound. <laughs> Esther ends up traveling to St. John, New Brunswick at the invitation of a certain unnamed military officer at the time. And at, it is during this, her stay with um, with him that Esther is visited with a, uh, quote, party of scientifically minded gentlemen um, who end up developing a new method of which to communicate with Esther's poltergeist. And so what they would do is essentially like this is because the Ouija board hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> this, is the, this is the proto Ouija board. They would, you know, and also you could do this probably if you don't have a Ouija board um, present. If you don't have a, a Ouija board, you could probably actually try this at home. So what they would do is they would ask uh, the entity shouldn't. a question and then they would recite the alphabet and wait for the thing to knock at the at the appropriate letter. And by using this method, the poltergeist was able to be identified. I was able to give them a name and that name was Bob Nickel. And not only did they get Bob Nickel name, this seemed to be the almost the primary ghost, but they actually found out that there were multiple ghosts that identified themselves to these men. So you had not only Bob Nickel, but you had a ghost who identified themselves as Maggie Fisher. You had another one who Bobby was Bobby Fisher. Another one who was Bobby Fisher. Peter Cox, who claimed to be an actual Where is relative. He? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know Bobby, Bobby Fisher. Fisher. Uh, you had Peter Cox. Identify himself and claim to actually be a relative of Esther's who died 40 years prior. Uh, you had three more presences, and that would be Mary Fisher, who said that she was uh, Maggie's sister, uh, the one of the, the other ghosts. And then you had Jane Nickel and Eliza McNeil. Now, this this makes sense to me that they would identify a numerous, like numerous ghosts because uh, it some of the things that happened to Esther seem on different, like wildly different levels, right? Like some very violent, the scratching, the stabbing, right? Others, you know, a, a bounce in a box, taking off some covers, others, some chucking some potatoes. Like it doesn't, it, it, it seems like a, such a wide variety. So like when I read that there was multiple, I went, okay, well that might explain some of the different happen like happenings going on is that perhaps there was different spirits, doing different things. I wonder if they had like, just like a little, like, you know, tape, like a little quick little meeting before they did their little paranormal activities. You know, be like, all right, what do you guys got to have for tonight? All right, well, I'm going to write something on the fucking wall and scare the shit out of her. <laughs> do it. Like, okay, boys, that was a little bit too fucked up. Scared. What do you think about throwing some potatoes tomorrow? Yeah. 
guys game didn't work. Peter's like, step how about we first. shank her in the back? <laughs> yeah. Let's stab her. That'll be fun. That's probably the same guy that's like, let's fucking burn her house burn the house down. Everyone's like, whoa, oh. whoa, Peter. Pete. Yeah. I think uh, Bob Bob Nickel Ghost was apparently the primary instigator. Yeah. That oh, was so the one that was. Bob. Bob. Bab. Come Bobby. on, Bab. Bob. Chill out, Bob. Babby. Chill out, Bobs. Bab. Now, June 11th. 1879, you know, after um, uh, she had returned from her kind of tour of New Brunswick, uh, enter in enterprising American actor named Walter Hubble or Hubble or Hubble. 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 <laughs> um, who a telescope. Uh, had just finished a theatrical tour in Newfoundland and he. <laughs> Newfoundland. He he puts he kind of posited himself. Tucker Dirt coming for the advice. Oh, oh, that's funny. Say oh, it one more time, Dan. That's good. That's rich. Newfoundland. Yeah, that's yeah. Newfoundland. 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 Yeah, I knew we'd get you slipping one of these days, and there it is. You thought it was easy pronunciation. Little did you know, <laughs> it's not pronounced how it looks or sounds. Sure. <laughs> Newfoundland. 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 Fantastic. Um, you have Walter Hubble who comes in, and Walter Hubble is a uh, Amer- professional American actor and he comes up there after finishing a tour with a uh, theater company. I tried to look and up his IMDB. Nothing. So this okay, is que- yeah. This is questionable. Okay. okay. Yeah. I'm not sure if they had actors from 1890s on the IMDB. I don't, huh. I don't think they had IMDB back then. Then what kind of professional is he? <laughs> hmm? Never heard of him. So uh, Mr. Hubble posits himself like most of the, uh, you know, a number of the actual accounts and the, the the most detailed account that we have of the Amherst mystery is from Hubble. Hubble uh, coming there specifically, he had been written to by uh, Mr. White when um, when Esther was staying with him and his family about this this power. This is what these events that have been going on. And Hubble posits and like positions himself as a, a type of kind of par- early paranormal investigator. You could probably, you know, put him as that. Um, we'll probably talk about it at some point, but this is, um, you know, late or early, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s. This is the really big time of spiritualism. Like this is the really big rise of spiritualism, like spiritual mediums, uh, you know, necromancy, all that kind of crystal balls, all that kind of stuff going on. This is when all of that stuff is pretty much is a very in vogue at that time. And uh, Hubble has a very personal kind of, uh, you know, as he writes it, he had a very personal connection with this kind of thing that got him started. He's he had a um, a female friend who he had been acting with and her mother apparently had died um, or committed suicide. And so, uh, which had severely affected her and her, her, the death, um, had driven her almost to a type of mania at this point. And so she caught, you know, he kind of caught her going to a number of, uh, 
people who claim to be psychics, claim to be mediums, uh, you know, allowing her to communicate with her her dead family member. And so, you know, he felt he felt bad because he knew or when he, you know, he asked to come with her to some of these. And he's like, some of these people, uh, most of these people that you're talking to are frauds. Um, you know, he he cites his long career in acting. And so being uh, allowed him to be familiar with a lot of the uh, techniques for, uh, you know, special effects of the day, you know, stagecraft, these kinds of things, creating noises, all of this kind of stuff. And he, you know, he pointed some of these things out to his uh, to his friend about being like some of these people are these are charlatans. They are taking your money and they're doing whatever and they're manipulating you. And, you know, he claims that he kind of brought her back from where she was like in a very bad place mentally and brought her back, you know, having her being able to more deal, uh, you know, he- more healthy, you know, a healthier Listen way to, me. to deal with Esther, her. you team up with me. And by the time we're done, we're both going to have IMDB pages. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going straight to the top. Yes. Um, with so you at after- my side, I can retake <laughs> Hollywood. <laughs> So Hubble uh, essentially We're be huge falls in into, Newfoundland. He falls into this paranormal investigator role, and he, um, you know, he sees Esther as a very case of being like, this is very interesting. Perhaps you know, he kind he claims he went in as a, a skeptic, and he goes in and he says that there's no way that this could be happening, and I could bust this. Like, uh, you know, he had somebody writing to him, Mister White. Busted. Being like, you know what, if I go in there and I can bust this. (laughs) Um, So over the course of six weeks, Hubble went and stayed with the uh, with the teeds. And he so he documented the strange displays that went on within their household. Now, um, (laughs) one of the one of the notes that he did make that was funny is that the uh, the ghosts seem to be very restrained and and not seem to. Uh, make themselves known on the Sabbath. So every Sunday they'd stop doing whatever they were doing, <laughs> you know, cause ghosts respect Sundays. Yeah. And so there's no bowling on Shabbos. Yeah, yeah, so. I, Saturdays out. I don't, do I don't fucking spook on Shabbos. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, Hubble goes in there and he, he, he sees all this and he, he judges it to be genuine that this is happening, you know, in his experience, he feels like that what is going on is actually occurring and that this is something that needs to be presented to the public. And so with Hubble's help, Esther embarks on a speaking tour. He takes her on a speaking tour. Um, you know, they would charge audiences to come and see her and tell her story. Uh, unfortunately, (laughs) the first, they do about like two acts and each one is met with a, uh, a measured amount of hostility. Like he talks about in his book, he wrote an entire book about this, which I read for the, for the researching this. And it was like the, the first one they go to uh, immediately, like she starts telling her story and they have some like old codger, like stand up and was like shaking his cane, like Boo and denouncing hissing. her and saying like, Boo, what the hell is this? Do something. <laughs> do something. <laughs> Show Ooh. us the stab wound. And like, and according to, and according to Hubble, like he even made a kind of arrangement with the ghosts using their communication method and being like, they would, they would appear like he being like, okay, you guys will appear and do the stuff that you do on the stage. So they got stage fright is what you're saying. 
And yeah. Um, mm. So they, they pretty much got heckled out of town. Like they were well, just like, it, there's no way that this is going to work. From some of the reports I read, there was like a riot at one of the shows. Yeah, they, they were. were like, yeah. They were like, okay, well, we can't continue. Like we're going to get murdered. We need to leave. Yeah, they had to walk out of there. I think he had to pretty much like walk her through and a pretty angry mob. Yeah. Oh, but all the cabbage and tomatoes oh, and shit. Potatoes. And hucked. Oh, she's getting potato PTSD yeah. again. <laughs> the flashbacks. So Esther uh, ended up returning to Amherst and working for a man named Arthur Davidson. But after working with him for a while, the, his barn actually burned down and he accused her of arson because I mean, it was known around town that these ghosts had perhaps in this but he you know accused her of arson and when they went to court uh she actually got convicted and sentenced to four months in prison um fortunately for so her they did a month fortunately yeah, it was yeah, in canada month, right? and even yeah. in the 1800s canada was lenient on crime <laughs> hey esther are you sorry yeah i'm sorry all right. Let her out. All right. Let her go. Let her go. <laughs> uh, she, only, she only did one month in prison. But after this, the phenomenon that had, you know, plagued her for a number of, for a year almost, has gradually ceased. And none of this stuff happened ever again. Do a little hard time and that shit fucks off, yeah. eh? <laughs> oh, in one month, that's fed time in Canada. <laughs> hey, that's fucking hard time, that's Paul. Hard time. I know guys did less of her murder. Yeah. I mean, so by all accounts, you know, after that, Esther, you know, lived a very mundane life. She ended up marrying twice. Uh, she had a son by each of the husbands. She ended up moving to Brockton, Massachusetts with her second husband and then ended up dying at um, at the age of 52 on November 8th, 1912. Man, I think we got to revisit a little something that happened prior to all this, though, don't we? <laughs> I think so, perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> So if, um, there is some there is a bit of debate about what possibly either triggered this or something that um, is to be critical of of this entire event. Now, August 28th, shortly, you know, a month, you know, or, you know, a couple weeks before the um, before the occurrences or the display of the power began, um, a young man named Bob McNeil, a gentleman uh, suitor. Mm-hmm. Uh, mustachio gentleman. Yes, he actually, yes, I think he is described as having a mustache. <laughs> yeah, um, he was actually a co-worker of Daniel Teed. Uh, he was a subordinate. And he had seemed to take a fancy to Esther, who by all accounts was pretty much a, um, she was an attractive girl. She wasn't, she wasn't like a homely or anything like that. She was um, rather attractive for her no, she, I saw her picture for yeah. 1800s. I mean, come God on. Damn. Uh, <laughs> it, you know, and just to be 100% clear, this is like a, just a little bit before any incident. The box incident, this is a month before. Right. This hadn't happened at, at yeah. before any of this stuff had happened. Oh, yeah. can, I, can I interject really quick before no. this incident? Can I talk <laughs> about the dream she had the night before this incident? Sure. Can I tell about this? Yeah. All right. So on the morning of August 28, 1878, Esther tells her sister Jane and Olive about a bizarre dream she had. I dreamt that when I got up in the morning, everything and everybody was changed but myself. This cottage was green instead of yellow. You, Dan, Jane, Brother William, and the rest of the family 
all had heads of bears, and you all growled at me. But you could talk, and eyes that were as large as horses' eyes, but as red as blood. While we were talking, I could hear strange noises coming from the street. So I approached the door, and when I opened the door, I saw hundreds of black bulls with blue eyes, very blue eyes, coming towards the house, with blood dripping from their mouths and feet, and fire come out of the ground. They came roaring very loudly from the house. I shut, the lo I shut and locked the door as fast as I could, closed all the windows, and ran to lock the back door. All of a sudden, they began to ram the house so violently that, that, that it nearly knocked the house over. It shook so violently that I awoke falling up out of bed. It's a fucking weird dream. It is a weird dream. It is a fucked up dream. It's a fucking weird dream. And then, dream. you know, followed by that weird dream, she has an, you know, quite an extreme experience that evening with Bob McNeil. Now, Bob McNeil had invited Esther to take a ride with him in his carriage. So... On their way back to uh, what Esther assumed back to her home, he ended up taking a like an alternate route, which took them near a kind of isolated grove uh, in the area. And then after halting the carriage, he jumped down from his seat and he drew a revolver and pointed it directly at Esther and demanded that she exit the carriage. Told her to get out. This when I saw this, I'm like, this is one ballsy move because you're in a village of 300 or however many, not very many people. <laughs> Everyone knows that you fancy this lass and you're going to take her in your carriage. You're going to pick her up from her house and you're going to now pull a fucking gun on her. Get out. Well, I, from what I was reading, I read a little bit more detail that he was making advances at her and she was kind of brushing them off being like, no, I'm not interested and kind of just, you know, it affected his, a man, his manhood and he fucking got mad and freaked out. And that's when he pulled the gun out being like, you're not going to reject me. Right. He wanted to get to second base and second base being back then wanted to, you know, show some ankle and she yeah. didn't want to show some ankle. She's like, you can touch my shoulder. Let me see them bedclothes, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, she's like, you can touch my shoulder. He's like, Hey, fuck that shit. Yeah. You know? So he jumped out of the carriage, ankle. uh, pointed the, the revolver directly at her chest. And to Esther's credit, she, she didn't give a shit. Apparently like, she didn't get out of the thing. She thought she was like, get back in the carriage. Yeah. Get back in the carriage. By her, by, by her account. She's like, just you get back son in of the a carriage. Gun. <laughs> she's hard, man. You know, yeah, back then you I know. would be sobbing while I showed both ankles instantly. <laughs> yeah, she is, uh, I would have been already on my knees. <laughs> <laughs> and she um so she's she doesn't she doesn't give a shit. Um you know, but fortunately yeah, she, for her it doesn't it doesn't get much farther than than that, um which is already pretty too far, but uh Bob is ends up getting alarmed by another passing carriage and quickly gets back into the carriage and then drives Esther home uh, in the rain. Uh, it begins to rain at that point. So uncovered. So she gets home and she's soaking wet and ended up just going to her room and apparently just crying herself to sleep. Yeah. She's very distraught after yeah. that. And then old Bobby McNeil piece of shit. Never seen again. Yeah. Well, which I, is like, I, that is so crazy to like, that is crazy. Like Braden kind of mentions that it kind of drives it home, but it's like, that's fucking crazy. You just pulled a gun 
on a lady and you're just like, oh, never hear of him again. Well, and, well have a good night. Well, and, 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 it's, and, and <laughs> yeah. you got to think never there's uh, to there's a little bit of, uh, I'm not going to say vigilante justice and stuff, but I'm sure there was where it's like that gets known around town. Like all of a sudden you aren't welcome around, you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, there's authorities and stuff, but I'm sure there's, you know, people that would take that kind of thing not too lightly in this kind of time. And well, I'm not even sure about that because I was looking, you know, reading up on it. It's like, like the family, like Daniel and the, uh, the other, uh, Coxes, uh, pretty much like they felt like it was like some kind of lover spat. Like, I don't even think they fully, I don't even think they fully <laughs> like, believe oh, it. Like, oh, this kind of shit happens yeah. all the time. Yeah, no, I, they like, didn't. Was, they like, didn't know. They didn't know that he pulled a gun on her, though. She, they just know that they broke. Up, that they stopped seeing each other. Right, right, right. Like they had no idea about that incident. Oh, they didn't know about the gun. Okay, yeah, so. they didn't know about the gun. They just assumed, okay, she's upset. Right. We haven't seen old Bobby Boy in a fucking while. And, but that makes sense because he's he's probably mm, worried okay. that like, hey, if if she told everyone I pulled a gun, I could be in some trouble. It's best that uh, I. Down, head down to the next village down and try my hand there at a uh, at a other less populated Canadian, yeah. <laughs> Canadian wilderness town. Head over to the Bay of Fundy and try my luck. Yeah. So you know this, I from my reading is like some of the some people attributed that a lot of this stuff to her trauma from this event, but from her account herself, like. For someone to be that, like, to just have a gun point at you and be like, no, fuck you. Yeah, like, afterwards, I'm sure once the adrenaline kicked, you were, like, upset. But, like, it, it, by all kinds, it seems like she was such a fucking badass that I just don't see that. She was, there's tons of, like, there's tons of stuff about her being super morose after locking herself in her room, not really talking with family. I mean, you had a, four, yeah, she's 14 years old, you know, it's kind of like. Yeah. But, you know, um, so. Hubble and his experience, he kind of implies or when in his book, he kind of talks about that. Perhaps he kind of tries to link it to the to the to the happenings. And he says that perhaps this this Bob, the spirit of, you know, the obviously seemingly sorry, seemingly violent Bob Nickel somehow possessed or like a portion of the power ended up possessing um, uh, the the, the man who assaulted uh, Esther, uh, Bob McNeil. And he, kind of, he he links this to this experience that he has that he describes with Esther, where at one point they kind of like, uh, they were sitting down one day and he said that he, he kind of joined hands with her. And he's, he described the sensation of feeling like some kind of like electrical current was going through his body. And then after they broke contact, he remembers feeling very um, exhausted. He felt very drained and he actually had to like sleep. He said he, that he pretty much had to sleep for the rest of the day and then, you know, crashed on the couch and didn't wake up until late in the evening. So he's saying that perhaps power had something to do with this event that this is an early display of what what was to come all right all right so you know we know that since this event esther had been married what once twice. i don't, I don't twice had she been married do we know, do we know why she'd been married twice 
Are you talking about before Bob McNeil? I'm saying after Bob McNeil. Oh, after Bob McNeil. Okay, yeah, she married, married twice. twice. Yep. We don't know what happened to her husbands. Well, we don't... Where did we get this story? Where did we get this story about Bob McNeil from? We got it from Esther. How do we know that Esther didn't fucking kill this guy and this is who's haunting her now? That's so a good point. Because Bob, Bob McNeil Nichol is actually Bob McNeil. Bob they did a typo on the Ouija board. Well, here's the thing. They read the fucking Knox wrong. Yeah. Listen, okay. It's, no, Esther's like, no, no, that's not McNeil. That's Nickel. That's Nickel. That's, you guys heard that wrong. <laughs> and then that's later Nichol. on, when McNeil. they're doing it without She's, her, they get, in, they get a McNeil, which is kind of strange. Right? So, yeah. Uh, no, seriously. Yeah. Maybe she offed the guy. Maybe, maybe there was a struggle. Maybe she got the gun from him. Maybe she popped him. I mean, did she would have to drive? Or maybe her she's cell a serial home? killer, and maybe she killed him and two of her husbands. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and been getting away with it the whole time. <laughs> maybe she's the real bad guy of this. And fucking Bob McNeil's like fucking Swayze, just trying to get some fucking you know some revenge here. I I like that because it would to you me like Swayze. You yeah, like yeah, I like Swayze. I like Patrick yeah, Swayze. Hot, so hot and dirty dancing. Um, and fucking Roto. I've got. I like that theory because. That to me adds up to that like withdrawnness after it's like I'm like f the story of like he pulled a gun and I was like, yeah, well, get that get that piece out of my face. You ain't think you ain't think no one's had a gun in my face before. Fucking you badass. And then all of a sudden You're after she's enough. a shell of herself, I'm like, well, that doesn't really make sense. But what does add up to me is that if that's the case and she kills him of like that guilt of like weighing you down of like. Oh my God! I <laughs> murdered someone, and I'm I'm keeping this secret to myself, uh, right? And then I like that because then this could be some sort of um, this could be her like, you know, losing it over that murder. I, I like that theory, Andrew. I, I never thought of that. Listen, I'm my I'm sticking to strictly only spooky fucking. Final thoughts here. I'm not <laughs> what's your not fucking, what's your final thought? Yeah, let's go. Let's go uh, around. That's the it. That's, that's it. it. Murder. Yeah, murder. Yeah, I'm murder. not gonna talk about any of the stuff I think is realistic. <laughs> I'm gonna talk about what I think it is, and I think it was murder. Now, for me, murder spooky, <laughs> spooky murder. What I want to think of your mind to kill. He gets revenge. You killed me, so I got to kill you. Yeah, your mind to kill. Your mind to kill. It adds up. It adds up quite nicely. It's actually making me rethink the uh, my thoughts because my thoughts were, you know, I go into when I start to th see things like this, um, the fire setting and and stuff like this. I initially go if I just very quickly off the top of my head, I'm I'm thinking some sort of mental illness. Like we didn't have mental illness back then. We didn't know a lot about it. And then it seemingly all stops when she pays a consequence. You know what I mean? Like she goes to jail <laughs> and all of a sudden she's like, hey, maybe I shouldn't throw these matches. However, what throws a huge wrench in this for me is that all these after Davids that are signed by everyone talking about the scratches appearing in the wall, the pillows getting yanked, right? Like it's corroborated co by other people. So it, it's not, it's not though. It's not. Is this your final thoughts or my final thoughts? Murder, murder. I'm sorry, no. but it's, it's not. It's yeah, murder. but it's not. It's well, murder. you forget to use that. You gotta find. You gotta <laughs> dig something up that you can't shoot throw holes in. You have no murder. idea if she killed him or not. But thank you. Perfect. <laughs> it was murder. Um, you, you know, 
it, it is a spooky case. I loved it. There's so many great um, YouTube videos of like old ass reenactment. There's an old one on Glo uh, uh, Global News, uh, Global Channel that does like some weird <laughs> remake of it in some weird like history moment. It's it it's a it's a really really interesting case, and there's lots of information behind it. So it, it is spooky, and a lot of this stuff that happens in it gives you that that what you're looking for that chill down the spine when you read it. You're like. Holy shit, this is terrifying. Um, so it's 100% murder, 100% Bob McNeil coming back, <laughs> Poltergeisen, um, doing getting geisty, getting geisty throwing taters. Uh, that's my final thoughts. Dan, what do you think? Um, this one was really fun to research uh, because it is a very singular firsthand account by... Uh, by Hubble. Like, it is a very... <laughs> it is a single book, which... Uh, uh, which by reports did pretty well when he, when he sold it, when he published the actual book of the accounts in which I think he actually rewrote the book and then it got reprinted like uh, uh, several times. And so it's a really fun read about the entire situation, but it, it pretty much, he is the only one reporting on this. And then he even goes as far as to uh, reprint like old articles that they wrote about like news articles from the local news outlets uh, in the town of Amherst about what was going on, which are like short little blurbs. Um, but I, 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 it is just a really, it is a fun case and it is fun to look into. And if, I, I suggest people to read the book. Like it's, you can find it free online from like the library of Congress. Like you can read it for free and it is pretty fun because it was written in that very stilted, um, like Victorian English, which is always pretty fun. Like Victorian American English, which is always really fun to read because it's all every sound makes English, everything pal. sound really formal about talking about ghosts and shit. Um, it is really fun. So there, there are still variant. Like the case itself is does have some uh, detractors. Some. People who say that. Um, perhaps most of this, again, we only have the single account, pretty much the single, the pretty much most of the documentation comes from Hubble himself, um, who is a, an actor, but also known to be somewhat of an enterprising, uh, gentleman who is always kind of on the lookout for the next kind of thing. And so there is that kind of suspicion and which kind of undermines the whole credibility of the case to be like, perhaps he's just looking for a quick way to make some money. Um, you know, put on a, put on a show and, um, that's all you really get. I mean, um, from him, it is a, it, it is a really, I, I like these cases personally because you have this one person telling this very, from his point of view, like a very compelling story and all this stuff that's pretty nuts. Um, also I hadn't really heard about it before and, even though it is like this is apparently one of the cases that everybody kind of points to within the paranormal ghost circles of like very s seemingly solid proof of poltergeist phenomenon, like very typical. Uh, this would be the archetypal poltergeist phenomenon. Like you have a pyromaniac ghost running around trying to set the house on fire. Communicating with ghosts through knocking. Like it, it's got it all. It's cool. Yeah, it's got yeah, so many, it's got so many parts to it and it is, it's it's really fun to look at um, when you dig down deep into it, and, and some of the pieces, like some of the stuff, doesn't exactly line up. You're there's like, some, wow, there's some holes. There's some holes. There's some holes. Um, but it is fun. Like I enjoyed I enjoyed reading about it. And um, uh, if people want to learn more, like just yeah, read the read the book that 
Hubble Road. <laughs> it is uh it's pretty it's a it's a good ride. Yeah. So, um did one hundred percent murder. A theorite of the week. <laughs> we do. We do have one. We do have one. I will keep stalling while I bring it up. And Andrew has named the theorite of the week who has done a lot of work. A lot of work. More work put, than any of us were willing some pretty, to do. Pretty, pretty, pretty hard effort. Hard hours. Right. <laughs> it's pretty funny because every single one of us has talked about doing this and every single one of us flat out refused to do Not a chance. what this person did just because the kindness of their heart. Our theorette of the week is Dylan Rader. What did Dylan Rader do? The Lord's well, work he, is what he did. The Lord, I, absolutely. He compiled a list of all the mongoose files in each episode. Like, think about the fucking hours that would take. He, he, it, it's actually, it's quite impressive because there's a lot of them. Um, you know, he had a list, and the fact that he he did it and posted it on Facebook for everyone. I downloaded it because I, I said, I said, hey, if someone else does that, maybe I'll do something with them. Maybe I'll edit them together. Maybe I'll put them to some spooky music and make YouTube Maybe videos. I'll do nothing to them. Maybe I won't do a thing. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe I'll do something. Maybe I'll do Time nothing. Time tell. No, Brandon probably delete them yeah, all. They're Go off. Back. Just, just put in his own yeah. stories. Welcome to Braden's Files. <laughs> um, no, it's actually un- unreal. I mean, it's a huge service to fans. They they love the Mongoose stories, so it's, it's nice to... Uh, have someone that did that for everyone. That's uh, outstanding. I'd say so. Now we get to this part of the show. Everybody's favorite part of the show. Yeah, let's see if I can. Can you even? Do yeah, it? I've got Zeltron playing. Or does Dan have to sing no, it? No, I've got Zeltron. Dan- no, I- make Dan sing I've got Zel- it. Make Dan sing I've it. I've got Zeltron playing in the background it. right now. First off, check out our YouTube channel. We got tons of stuff on there. I've seen people in the chat talking about, you know, wanting us to do UFO reviews. Well, guess what? We already do them. Go check out our YouTube video. They're half an hour. When does this come out? Friday. When does this come out? Friday. What's the date of Friday? Okay, so that's before the end of the month. Listen, this is, I'm just, listen, throw us a fucking bone. I want to get to 800 so bad. Yeah, we're two away. We're so close. (laughs) We've been so close for so long. I just, I just need to see it. You can even donate and then just cancel the payment i just want to see it 800 yeah we're so close so close but and these people are helping us get there so big thank you for to dylan raider he's also that's the theory of the week oh what what a g unbelievable unless there's another unless there's two dylan raiders which would be nice well what this guy's a fucking i just think he's a g signs up for patreon and does the legwork for this unbelievable uh chris from denver Deadbeat. Your like wolf. A one-year pledge by Cap- Captain Specificity. 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 Axel Salazar. Kyle. Leroy Harris. Manuel Almarez. And Drill and Phil. And as we always say at the end of these things, keep those eyes on the skies. Peace. See you in after hours.